0: with you guys today, and so we'll be sharing uh, from a very interesting book today in just a minute, and I'd appreciate it if you would pray with me. Holy Lord God, God of light, God of shadow, we humbly bow before your presence, illuminate our minds today to understand and our hearts to agree, and Lord, our will to obey your incomparable word. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Spirit. Amen. Life. Meaningless. 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 Or not. When is the last time you thought to yourself, this is not how it's supposed to be? Anyone think like that about anything? This just just isn't the way it's supposed to be. Was it when you saw the devastation From the historical floods in Louisiana, when you saw coffins on the water floating by and thousands of people impacted, houses and churches even submerged and the increasing loss of life? Was it when you were watching the Olympic Games only to find out that the major news of the event wasn't about the games themselves but about some people who made some really bad moral decisions and how that became a major distraction? on all the news agencies? Was it when presidential candidates said or did something that really cut against your own moral sensibilities? Was it when you thought about the crime and the injustice and the evil the human beings do to each other and to animals and even to themselves? Or was it when you got some bad news about someone that you love? Or was it when something really bad happened to you, something just unimaginable? Did you cry out, meaningless, meaningless, life, life is meaningless? Well, if you did, you're in actually good company because that very phrase is found, guess where? In the Bible, in the Bible itself. You're kidding. The Bible's about hope. Yes, it is. The Bible's about truth. Yes, it is. The Bible's about love. Yeah, but it's also very concrete, real, and raw, and we're going to look at some of that today in just a few minutes. So meaningless, 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 or vanity, 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 says the teacher, all is meaningless. These are found in the book, as you said, of Ecclesiastes, and that phrase is in the very first chapter and the very second verse. Have you said these words before? Well, one who wrote this said that. And who is connected with the book of Ecclesiastes? Who's who's the writer? Solomon. Very good. And uh, you guys could definitely be useful in my classroom, I'll tell you. (laughs) Students coming in today don't have a lot of biblical knowledge, and boy, it's good to hear that you know where this is from. Uh, These are the thoughts and observations of King Solomon that we're going to look at today. He's, of course, David's son. And was he given a little bit of insight? This man was actually, what, the wisest man to ever have lived, we're told, except for Jesus himself who comes later, Solomon is it, because he doesn't ask for strength, he doesn't ask for money, he doesn't ask for success, he asks for wisdom in leading the people of God. Humble prayer, and God says, I'm going to give you that and a lot more because of what you said. So, today we're going to look into this absolutely relevant book for our time. This is the Word of God as presented in Ecclesiastes. We'll consider how this wisdom teaching given more than 2,500 years ago perhaps is just as timely for us today in our current situation. I think it is, especially in what oftentimes is called the postmodern time. Well, of course life has meaning though, you say, and in one sense from a Christian perspective, you're right, but in another sense presented by the teacher of Ecclesiastes, mm, not so much, at least not under certain conditions. I trust we all come away today transformed, I pray, by God's Word that's going to be spoken by His Holy Spirit, not by me, afresh through the biblical text as He breathes it into our lives. We're going to first begin with a brief background to the book itself, find out what it's all about, where it came from, and then we're going to spend some time on looking at the key themes or teachings in this 12-chapter book that you and I can read in an afternoon, and maybe you'll do that later, I hope so. Finally, we're going to end up with uh, connecting Ecclesiastes with the New Testament, the New Covenant, especially in light of Jesus' mission and His own message about what life is and its very meaning and its purpose. So, if you'll be ready to go there with me. All right, so let's begin then with this first piece here. As you can see, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible known as the Tanakh, and it's part of the wisdom literature. Yeah, the Bible's made up of all kinds of different genres or styles. You know, most of the Old Testament is actually what kind of genre? Poetry. A lot of it is poetry. And then there's wisdom, and then there's prophecy, and then there's narrative, and then there's didactic teaching and such. And so, it's part of the wisdom literature package, if you will, along with guess what other book Solomon's most well-known for? Proverbs. That's right. That's wisdom literature, right? A proverb a day. Keeps the enemy away, (laughs) not a bad thing. Read a proverb today. Today's the 21st, Proverbs 21. Put it on your list if you don't already. It's also had, Ecclesiastes has had some major Western world impact. Look at this quote here by uh, Thomas Wolfe, the famous American novelist. He wrote, of all I have ever seen or learned, that book seems to me the noblest, the wisest, the most powerful expression of man's life on the earth. And also the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth. I'm not given a dogmatic judgments in the matter of literary creation, but if I had to make one, I could say that Ecclesiastes is what? The greatest single piece of writing I've ever known. And the wisdom expressed in it, the most lasting and profound. Well, it's not just the American literary scene, but also the American cultural scene. Remember this song? from 1965, the birds, and famously sang, turn, turn, turn. We're not going to sing it today. You can go up to the internet and have a song with these long-haired, funny-looking glasses, uh, 1965 hippies, and sing, to everything, there is a season. They get this right out of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, don't they? And I see you singing it right now. If you've heard that before, it's going on, isn't it? <laughs> uh, number one on the charts. Isn't that amazing? Right out of the Bible, number one on the charts in 1965. Stayed there a while, too. Also in the media, there are plenty on Ecclesiastes. Anybody heard of Mumford and Sons? They have a song called After the Storm. Very popular, too. That chronicles the same kind of thing. The book of Ecclesiastes for life. Well, here's some preliminary points we want to bring up on the book itself. This is that backroom and backdoor information that is helpful for us to know. We said it's wisdom literature, part of the Hebrew Bible. The third point it's complex, it's reflective. We have to think as we read the book about what's being said. It's theological, it's connected with a view of reality that says God first, it's also practical. This is based on experience and wisdom of the one who is given that by God. It's also pretty straightforward and raw at times, just flat out what we'd call concrete, streetwise information and teaching. It's difficult to interpret because one has to know what's going on. Is it irony? Is there some uh, tongue-in-cheek happening here? Is this really meant to be the case? Or is it speculation. So, there's some of that happening too. It's not easy to interpret. Ultimately, the main thing is it's part of God's Word, and therefore, it's to and it's for all people. And so, with that, uh, we appreciate Ecclesiastes because it's in the Word. It's also the word Ecclesiastes. It's a Greek translation of the Hebrew koheleth, which actually means teacher. Very simple. It's the teacher of the assembly, who convenes a congregation to preach. So, teaching and preaching is what's happening here. And there are implied references to Solomon. There's questions about the origins of the book, but ultimately attributed uh, the thoughts to Solomon itself. Next slide, you can see, um, we'll skip a couple of slides and get to the earliest possible dates. Um, One more. The earliest possible dating, look at this, we're going back nearly 3,000 years for this wisdom literature, Solomon's reign. Uh, some have dated it to the 8th or 7th century, sort of looking back on Solomon's general teachings. Whatever the case, it's been around quite some time, hasn't it? And yet the, the information, the wisdom, the teaching is still appropriate for us today. Uh, a little bit more, we mentioned it has literary genres like allegory and sayings and metaphors and proverbs and all sorts of other forms. So it's, it's a complex text, but it's good to read for us. Also, the argument of the teacher, Koheloth, uh, and the text is apologetic. In other words, I'm going to explain to you some of why the way things are, they are. Here's why things are happening in this world, the way they do. And if we don't need that today, I don't know what we need. (laughs) Don't we need an explanation Uh, or want one? An apologetic for the reason things happen like they do, based on wisdom and experience. Interesting, though, he builds his case without any presuppo- uh, presupposing of things like the law given or the prophets or even Israel as the place in God's plan or even the old covenant. Why does he do this? And the answer seems to be that he's addressing a wider audience. He wants people that are ignorant of this or that would reject Scripture or God's covenant to listen in to some wisdom. I find that interesting, don't you? It might be a good text to read and to teach out of in our culture that outside of the Christian faith or some other faith there's a significant rejection, right, of revelation in our uh, Western world today. So, that's why I think it's such a valuable book in part as well. The outline of the text looks like this, Uh, very simple really. You have the author stating his name up front and then the main theme of the book, we'll see this again and again the meaninglessness of human efforts on earth apart from God. Then the introduction of the profitlessness of working to accumulate things to get happiness. If there was anybody that tried that, it was Solomon. And then discourse, what is he teaching on? Part one is in spite of life's enigmas and meaninglessness, it needs to be enjoyed as a gift of God. And then discourse part two, Since old age and death is going to come to everybody, people should enjoy life in their youth, remembering that God ultimately will judge. And then that theme of life again is repeated, and then he concludes with the reverent trust in and obedience to God as that final epilogue. So that's a brief outline. Now, our role today involves your role today too. I wouldn't be um, a good university Prof, if I didn't ask you to do something, not as well as just listen. So you see that piece of paper that you've got right in your uh, handout, in your outline? Notice it's what? Blank. It won't be if you, <laughs> if you follow along with me in a few minutes. What I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to go through some key theological and ethical and wisdom themes. I'm going to take these 12 chapters that we have and boil it down into some key themes. And what I'd like you to do is pick out five, just five, out of the ones that we're going to share here, okay? So between one and seven themes, okay, the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, pick one, just pick one. And so we're going to go through pretty quickly. I want you to think in that section of seven possible key points or themes, and you'll see this, it'll work out well in a minute, uh, you just pick out one that means the most to you or connects with you. So, what I'd like you to do at the end of the day is take these away and see how God has spoken to you through this text, okay? So, let's see how this works. For example, theme number one, or the key central theme, is this. And notice chapter up here, too. This is where it's located in Ecclesiastes. If you want to go look this up later, I put the chapter for each of these, not the verse, but the chapters, because some of these are throughout the chapter. So, thematically, God is first, That means the Lord, in Ecclesiastes, is ultimately in charge of life under the sun. His ways are beyond finding out, and they clearly are mysterious. We can't know everything about why God does what He does. Would you agree? You know, the more I learn, the more I know, the less I know. And students need to learn that as well. So God is first, ultimately, in charge, and we can't figure it all out. So maybe that's your number one, but within this first set of seven, pick one of these. Two, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. That phrase appears more than 25 times, under the sun. It means on the earth, in our situatedness, in our existential reality, where we are right here and right now, no one can figure it all out. Agreed again? (laughs) I mean, we can see some things. We think we can figure it out. Solomon Solomon's saying, or uh, Koheleth is saying, uh-uh, you can't comprehend it. That's not what life, you're not made here to comprehend everything. The bottom line is God has actually made it this way. God has made it this way. Even if the wise claim that they can discover life's meaning and claim that they know what it is, they can't really comprehend it. Can't really figure it out. Darwin, had Darwin actually learned what that single cell was all about, and the incredible, impeccable, meticulous work of God, Darwin no way could have said what he did. He would have come to many different conclusions and realized the intelligent design behind this cell leads to belief in God. Number three, everything God does will endure for a week. Ah, a little longer. How long? Absolutely. What God does will endure forever. Four, God created mankind, how? Upright, sinless, but they have gone in search of many schemes. This is the story of creation, good, and then what? Fall, bad. God has created man upright, but they've gone in search of many schemes. Five, the heart of people are full of evil. That means against God's will. And there is madness in their hearts while they live, he says in chapter 9. Look around. So the hearts of people, full of evil, madness while they live. Number six, there's no one on earth who is righteous. That means stands by themselves, how? Right before God. No one who does what is right and never sins. We see this in the New Testament all over the place. One more in this first set. Wickedness will not release those who practice it. Ooh, sound like addictions, maybe, or something related to that. It it has a hold and a grasp. So out of these first seven, pick one that really stood out for you as your first of five major themes that you can take away from this set of Ecclesiastes theological, ethical, and wisdom themes. All right, let's go to the next set. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. You can get a picture of that. Picture that. Number nine. Much of what we observe happening in life is evil, seemingly chance and or meaninglessness. Meaninglessness or meaningless. This is one that is, to me, really important. We're against oppression big time as a denomination, as people of God. But we should remember, oppression is everywhere. Don't be surprised at it, at oppression and justice and rights being denied because of what? Political power structures and the profits that officials and kings gain when they take. You get that, right? We we see that all over the world. Oppression. It's really everywhere. Solomon's been seeing it. The wealthy, number 11, are constantly preoccupied with seeking to gain more wealth. Whoever loves money never has enough income. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. This is meaningless. And his point is, as you go on into the chapter, chapter 5, you're going to take it with you? Actually, we leave it behind for others. And he says, who knows if it's not a fool that takes your money after you're done and wastes it all, ruins themselves and ruins everything. So don't focus there. Money's good, good for using, good for serving, not good for preoccupation and self-identification. 12, we all await And will experience the same fate. My mentor, Walter Martin, used to say it like this. The death rate is still one per person, you know, and that isn't changing. So keep in mind, that's it. Everybody comes how? Naked from mommy and departs naked, taking nothing from their toil with them. I'm I'm sure you've heard the stories of the woman being buried with her Mercedes or the man with his motorcycle. But they're not riding or driving, as we know. So, we all await the same fate, as Solomon says. Obvious observation, we sometimes deny it, though. Thirteen, some things happen in our lives that are just unexplainable, wrong, or seemingly just random. Doesn't it seem at times out of control like that? So, he's observing what seems to be the case. There's more to it than that he'll share later. And the last of the second batch, no one knows when their hour will come. People are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. You're dancing on a you know an outdoor cabana or something, and the next minute everybody around you is gone. You know, things happen, earthquakes and natural disasters. No one really knows when the time comes, because evil can fall upon us. So, This is that second batch. Did you find one? That should be your second theme, somewhere between 8 and 14. Let's go to the third now. No one has power over the time of their death. Even those who seek suicide at times fail. But only God really knows the day or the hour. 16, since no one knows the future, humanly speaking, who can tell someone else what is to come? And that's exactly right, before the revelation of Christ and the teaching in the new covenant, we would have no idea what's to come, except that in some of the books, like Daniel and some of the later prophetic books, there's a symbol and an idea that we're going to be with God, but it's not clear until progressive further revelation that we have in Christ and in the New Testament. Fear and reverence for God is essential. Fear meaning awe and worship and even in the sense of recognizing God's power. It will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him, than for the wicked who don't fear God. Ultimately, there's an outcome, and he gets to that later. So this is essential. Always be clothed in white. Symbol of what? Purity. And always anoint your head with oil. Back then it was a sign again of holiness unto the Lord. 19. Enjoy life with your wife or your spouse, whom you love all the days of this apparently meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. Enjoy. That's what it's for. No time to not enjoy. It. God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness to the one who pleases him. I want to please God? The New Testament says by faith we please the Lord, by trusting Him. And by doing that, God provides us with wisdom, knowledge, and, and happiness, looking sort of backwards on that. And the last in this batch, life, work, play, and rest are what? Toils and trouble and frustration? Actually, they're gifts. They're gifts from God's very hand to be enjoyed thoroughly, to be enjoyed so out of that third batch there up through 21, did you find another connection with God? Maybe speaking into your heart about the importance of one of these themes. Let's go to the next batch. Do your work half-heartedly. <clears throat> I erased that. Oh, okay. That's wrong. Do your work with all your mind. Remember, Jesus has a command to that type of. Of a focus about using your mind. Think well in all that you do. You've been given that great gift. Even love the Lord your God with all your mind. 23, Uh, this is a good thing for people to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor during the few good years that God has given them, (laughs) okay? So, do it. It's the best one can do. It's from the hand of God Without Him, one can't even eat or find any enjoyment. So, eat, drink, find satisfaction in your work. It's a gift of God. Also, it's better to share with others and work with others than to toil or gain all alone. Two are better than one and may receive a good return for the labor and mutual help and care. Solomon was in on it back then that we are relational beings right? We're not standalone entities. He created us in relationship with himself and one another. And when we're on our own, we get weird. We get weird. We end up having 100 cats in the house, and 50 of them die, and somebody has to come and take them away. Or we end up talking and answering and doing all kinds of things alone. I'm so glad you're here because the community is who we are about. It's what we have to be. We are made as relational beings. And we have a better labor, better return on our labor. 25, God has set eternity in the human heart. We know there's more than meets the eye, right? We know there's an eternal reality. There is a time and a season, there is a song for everything. And God has made everything beautiful in its time. So, during that season, God's made it for beauty. There's another piece to that, too. It's this. Wisdom is a good thing. Good to get wisdom. Wisdom is practical ability to apply knowledge. Okay, so you have the knowledge. Wisdom is applying it wisely or well. It benefits, it shelters, it preserves those who have it. It's a lot better than foolishness, although even wisdom sometimes can be meaningless. It's also better than weapons of war. Would you pray with me, uh, put it on your prayer list, that the 195 leaders of this world would receive God's wisdom on how to interrelate and interact with others? Wouldn't that be phenomenal, rather than with weapons of war? Call out on God's wisdom. I pray for that. It's better. And it's a good thing. And last in the set fourth set, having more knowledge mm, can actually mean more grief. <laughs> the more you know. That's why, as he says later, don't get over-excessive about this. You know, there's a point of return that it starts getting too much. Don't be excessive. So, out of those seven, did you find one? So, you should have four now, four key connections at least. Let's go to the last set to find one more. And then I'm going to ask you one more piece. He says, here it is, avoid excesses and overindulgences of either wisdom or foolishness. Don't get too wrapped up. Intense about these things to the maximum level. Drive you crazy. 30, the words of the wise are important. They're like firmly embedded nails. Think about that. Bam, bam. They put it together. Well, it's given by one shepherd. You love that? This is wisdom from above that the words of the wise are bringing to us. The man who pleases God, or woman, will escape. Well, oh, in this case, it is male. The man who pleases God will escape the woman who is a snare. And this is in a context of prostitution. And Solomon in Proverbs 5, 7, and 8 is talking with younger Sons and protégés to say, avoid going down that road. You know, the man who pleases God, God, I'm with you, will escape that as a sneer for their lives. 32, enjoy whatever life stage you're in. I love this in chapter 11. For this is the gift of God for you right now. And I hope you make this as one of your takeaways. Maybe it isn't, but wherever you're at, it's not who you used to be or who you want to be. It's who you are now. You are in the stage by God's grace and it is your gift to be who you are right here, right now. Are you okay with that? Can you say thumbs up? I'm not to be anybody else. I'm who I am now before God. And it even says it's the gift of God for you right now. I love that. No other time like right now, who you are right now. Guard your steps in your mouth when you come into the house of God. (laughs) Go near and listen, rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. For God's in heaven, you're on earth, let your words be few. Two more. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God, reverence, awe, respect God. And lastly, on Solomon, the bottom line is this this is the conclusion of everything that he says fear, that means awe, and revere, respect God. And keep his commandments. Do what he says. This is the call and duty of everybody. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything that's hidden, whether that's even good or evil. So in the end, revere and follow God. Now, of course, this ends without the revelation to come of grace. In the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's little grace here discussed. So, our last part, we want to connect it there. But I want to say, I hope you found some takeaways there within this text. Now, don't put your pen down yet because I hope you find one more and one more in this section where we finally connect Ecclesiastes with the New Testament. Keheloth makes clear that life, although it's to be enjoyed as a gift from God, an attitude of reverence before the Lord, and keeping the commandments, it's still basically meaningless. He ends on saying, do this anyway, but life as a whole, you know, it's lacking. Even the Hebrew covenant and the law is not enough to change that situation. However, as Paul tells us later, it serves as a tutor, a teacher, to point us to the new covenant, the new relationships God's developing through the sacrifice, the giving of Jesus As the Messiah to humankind. In fact, in Galatians 3, we read it at the bottom of this section here, all are under sin, but therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So, by seeing what you see in Ecclesiastes, it's not the end of the story. It says there's got to be more. And it's pointing us to Christ. Keheleth's own picture of a dreary kind of toil and labor under the sun gets superseded in the new covenant by this. Rest for your souls, an easy yoke and light burden for those who come to and then follow after Jesus Christ. In Matthew, we read something I would like you to read with me. Let's read it together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Pretty different than the toiling and in intensity uh, that, that Ecclesiastics reminds us of. So the teacher's command is to enjoy God's simple gifts of life without anxiety, and that's good. That actually parallels Jesus' exhortations to trust God's care for us as we read Jesus say, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink the clothing you're going to wear. Life is more than that, isn't it? Check out the birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Can you add anything to your lifespan by worrying? Anybody in here got either is a worrier or has somebody in their family or friends that are real worriers, I mean intense worriers? Is it good for them? 93%, this is Earl Nightingale, from the Lead the Field series years ago. He said, remember that 93% of what you and I worry about have been shown to be things that we can't do anything about anyway. What are we doing? And he encourages us to say, worry about things that A, you can change, and B, you'll work to change. Otherwise, you're wasting your time and everybody else's. (laughs) Maybe some wisdom in that, right? So, Don't worry about it, Jesus says. Pray about it. Be concerned, of course. Change things that you can, but trust the Lord. You know, uh, don't worry. And we close with this. Ultimately, with the coming of the new covenant, the emphasis on the relationship with the Lord moves from fear of God to what? Loving God and loving others, as seen in Jesus, what we call double commandment of love. Twofold, with its focus on relationship, which is principle level, rather than rules, which is keeping the law. He says, as someone asked him, What's the greatest of the commandments? Well, love the Lord your God with all that you are your heart, soul, your mind. It's the first and greatest. And then the second is like it love others, your neighbor, like yourself. All of the law and the prophets, might we say Ecclesiastes too? Hang on these two commandments. Everything hangs on, ultimately love. So, Ecclesiastes can take us into some good places and some dark places, but ultimately, without the new covenant, it stops short. So, of course, we need to embrace the truth of what's taught there while remembering, too, we want to go one step further and embrace the new life that is in Christ because it's in Him that meaning is made. You are meant to be here, and you have purpose in this life. Life is not meaningless in Christ. So look around. Next time you get an opportunity to share, remember, most everybody you're going to bump into outside of this community is looking at things through a very different lens. Share with them the meaning that Christ has given you. And holy God, we thank you for this time. We believe that you have given us tremendous purpose, you have showed us meaning, yes, you've given us life to enjoy and, and to appreciate, and the gifts that you've given us, so many things around, and to do the best in the situation we're in. But most of all, we're called to trust fully in you, for it's in you that we gain true meaning, true purpose in life, and it's in the name of the one who gives us that that we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.